Thank you. Thank you all for inviting me. I always come. Every time I come, I get a glass of water up here. So. <laughs> That's always good too. Hey, as I as I start, don't don't take me to Presbytery or anything like that. But I'm gonna actually start by reading the lyrics to a uh, to a song. And we're gonna name that tune, right? If you as soon as you know this song, raise your hand. See if you got it. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. Anybody with me so far? You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. Anybody? You don't count. Okay. <laughs> These pastor, pastors don't count, right? It's like a, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Okay, there you go. Did you know it before then? You were just, okay, you just won. Yeah, just a Bob Dylan song from a few years ago, many years ago, right? During, <laughs> during his Christian phase or, or whatever. But you're going to have to serve somebody. That's what he's saying. The name of the song is Got to Serve Somebody. But, but he's right, isn't he? You're going to have to serve somebody. Um, you're gonna, you're, you got it, and you're gonna serve somebody, and, and that's exactly right. And who do we mainly serve? If we're honest, and we should be honest, we're in church, it's okay to be honest, although we're often not honest in church because we're always fine in church, but the reality is we're not fine in church. We serve a lot of idols. If we're truly honest with ourselves and with each other, we serve a lot of idols, right? Um, and I would even contend this. Sometimes we wonder, and people ask me, how, how, how come I don't feel like I'm growing as much as a Christian, as I need to be, as I should be, as I feel like I ought to be? And, and I think the answer to that question is, why aren't we growing like we should be, think we're supposed to be as Christians? Because we don't deal with our idols. We have these idols at work in our lives, and we really just don't deal with them and and the reality is we cannot serve two masters. Somebody said that. I think many years ago, somebody said you cannot serve two masters. And, and I think that's exactly true. I mean, we see that in scripture, right? You can't serve two masters. And if we're not going to deal with our idols and we're going to continue to serve and worship those idols, then we're really not going to serve and worship the Lord and enjoy him and grow as we should as children of God, right? So... This passage in Habakkuk that we're going to read here in just a second, right? There are plenty of passages in the scripture that talk about idolatry. I'm using this one in, in Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a great book. I love it. One of my favorite books. But, but Habakkuk begins his, his book, his writing here, by asking God, how, God, how in the world can you allow all the rampant evil to exist? And how can you possibly use a perverse nation like Babylon to come and execute justice and, and accomplish your purposes, right? And God assures him, as you, as you read through the letter, God assures him that, listen, I will always maintain a distinction between the wicked and the righteous. You know, Babylon is not going to get my blessing and you get my curse. You will always be my people and Babylon will be judged accordingly. Um, the wicked will surely be judged. And, and in the midst of this letter, he gives five woes. I'm going to sort of paraphrase those woes. These five woes against Babylon, five woes against the wicked, right? The, the first one is this, plunderers will be plundered. 
Exploiters will, number two, exploiters will be exploited. Number three, shedders of blood will have their blood shed. Number four, those who shame others, they themselves will be shamed. And, and, and now we're looking at this fifth woe. It's a fifth woe. It's directed toward idolaters. And the fifth woe toward those who practice and engage in idolatry is this. Those who look to idols, those who look to other gods, those who look to false gods will in fact have no God. Because you're not going to have the, the God of Scripture. You're not going to have Jehovah, the real true God. Now, we're glad that this woe is not directed toward us, right? Because we don't deal with idols, really. We're Christians. We're good people. Right? But listen to J.C. Ryle. Okay, J.C. Ryle says this. There are two ways a man may lose his own soul. He may lose his soul by living and dying without any religion at all. He may live and die like a beast. Prayerless, godless, graceless, and faithless. This is a sure way to hell. He may lose his soul. Now he gets to the second way. He may lose his soul by taking up some useless kind of religion. He may live and die contenting himself with a false Christianity, resting on a baseless hope. This is the most common way to hell that there is. Yeah, there are two ways to hell. Just totally reject God or Embrace a false god and practice idolatry in your life. And, and there are many, and, and I think you, you're with me in this, there are many in our culture who have professed to be Christians, who have proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. And on the surface, they look great. They're church going, they're sitting in some pew seat this morning in some building maybe somewhere, or at least at home watching some service perhaps. And, and they would profess the name of Christ, but, but they cling to idols. Their hearts are given to idols. They're really not regenerate. They're really not born again. Um, we would prefer, we being that group of people, actually not to trust Christ for redemption or salvation, but to use Jesus as maybe a mascot, as a way to get what we really want in our lives. And, and, and that's, I've just said the context for what we're going to talk about this morning. And now, now, you can tell Presbytery that he actually did read the Bible when he preached. He wasn't just giving Bob Dylan info. He, he's actually referring to the Word of God here. Um, y'all stand, stand when you read We Are This Morning. If you would stand, if you're able, for this reading of God's Word. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. And again, the context is you who worship idols, you're, ultimately you're going to have no God. He says, this, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in, its own, in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God's word. Let me pray and just ask that God would bless. Father, thank you for your word. Teach us now by the grace and might of your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Think for a moment just like a Babylonian. Think like a Babylonian. It's not that hard to do, really. As a Babylonian back in this day and time, 
We've conquered every nation there is. No king, no kingdom has, has overcome us. Um, those we didn't kill and overrun, we've enslaved them. We've taken their gold and silver from every foreign temple in every land. No army has stood up to us. No foreign god has hindered our advance. And now this irritating little Hebrew comes along and says that, that their god is going to overcome. And that, that's just not going to happen, right? What a joke. This taunt and threat from your supposed Hebrew God, we will not be plundered. We will not be overcome. We will not be exploited. We will not be shamed. Our God, we're Babylonians. Our God is superior to any and all gods. And if you looked at their success rate, I mean, you would think, well, of course. Of course we're successful. Look at, look at our kingdom. Look at what we've been able to do. Note that that Habakkuk's writing in, in this particular passage, it, it doesn't start with a woe. It asks a question. He says, what profit? What profit is an idol? What's the advantage here? I mean, what value is an idol? What, what are you going to benefit from this idol? It's a great question even for us. What do we want from our idols? Again, if we're honest, we have idols. We deal with idols. We, we cling to idols. What do we want from them? What do we really want from our idols? It's a story of a, a couple. They were in a lawyer's office. They were discussing with the lawyer their end-of-life issues and, and, and how their estate might be settled and, and, and trying to iron all those things out, you know, well in advance, and, which is always a good thing to do, right? So they're sitting in the lawyer's office, and the, uh, um, the husband turns to his wife, and he says, Listen, I want you to promise me. Honey, I want you to promise me that if I ever become dependent totally dependent upon machines and, and, and fluids that you'll take those away and, and just unplug them and, and, and you'll take action just to, to end it there. Um, and his wife agreed and they finished the, the process there with the lawyer. When, when they got home, the wife immediately went into the living room, unplugged the TV, went into the cabinet, took all his bottles and poured them down the drain. You know, TV, drink, all these things we can cling to, all these things. What do we want from them? We want satisfaction. We want relief. We want, we want happiness. We, we want a break. And, and let's be honest, sometimes they do help. They give us a temporary satisfaction, don't they? That's why we run to them, because we, we need a, a, a fix. We need our fix. We, we're sort of addicted to some of these things. And we constantly need, and we need a little bit more. And, and sometimes those idols are temporarily satisfactory. But what does, does Habakkuk tell us here in this passage? What, what do we want? They, they can't give us what we really want, right? In, in verse 18, he highlights and unpacks the, the impotency, um, impotence of, of idols. What profit are they? The maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. He, Make her trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols? Can, can these silent stones, can they speak? Can they do anything? There's, not, there's no breath in them at all. They're dead. They're useless. They have no value. Isaiah 44, you could jot that down and go there and read a, a classic text on the, the futility of idolatry. Again, imagine being a Babylonian again. 
Shift back in that mindset just for a moment. And, and, or No, don't think like a Babylon. I'm sorry. Think like a, a believer in Babylon. That's not hard to imagine, is it? Think like a believer in Babylon. You're walking down the street and you notice um, a, a temple and you go inside the temple and inside the temple there is this hideous idol carved, this wooden metal, whatever these idols there, they're covered with gold. And, and at the foot of the idol, there are many priests and priestesses um, busily cutting the throats of animals in front of it. And, and, and there are many worshipers in there. The, the sick and the weak and the lame, they're blind, the children, they're all in there. They're bringing their gifts and they're bringing their offerings to the altar. And, and as a believer, your heart just breaks. Because you're thinking, what in the world? What is going on? I mean, these, these people are worshiping this worthless idol. And, and they're pouring out sacrifice and they're worshiping. And they're on their knees. They're bringing people with legitimate needs to something that cannot meet their needs. Now, think like a Christian here in America, in our day and time, in our current day and time. And we're thankful that we're not in such a, a wicked, vile environment anymore, right? So we're able to wake up in the morning and flip the TV over to our preferred news channel and, and get the, the news that we want to hear that particular morning. And then we go out and, and we get in, in the car and on our way to work, we pass by the Apple store and we notice once again that there's a line waiting outside the Apple store for people to get in and, and get the latest technology, the latest gadget that they, that they have to have, of course, for, for communication and for work and for social stuff and all that stuff. And, and, and then you, you drive by and you drive by the mall, you drive by Macy's or whatever department store and, and, and you notice... Your people are, again, just coming in and out with packages and, and, and things that they, again, that they desperately need to, um, to get the latest fashions and all the things they, they have to have. Then, of course, you, you go by the, the gym um, and, and the, the, you look through the windows there and there, there are men and women in there, you know, posing and, and, and looking at their bodies, working out, you know, sweat glistening off their bodies and, and, and they're in there just getting fine-tuned and and you think, well, that's a, that's a, a great place. And, and, and then, then, then there's Whole Foods where, where you see a different crowd going in and out so that they can adequately worship uh, their own bodies in a different way and also worship Mother Earth. And, 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 then, and then eventually you go by the stadium and, and you remember the, the sounds of tens of thousands of people in there worshiping and, and singing and shouting and clapping and cheering for their favorite gods wearing their uniforms down on the field. And, and you think, boy, this is such a, such a great place. And, and then you finally get to work and you notice as you go into work, the plaque on the wall has your name on it as employee of the month. And, and you realize that, yes, no, nothing gives me the satisfaction that, that I feel when I come to work and, and my work is appreciated and they notice how good I am. And, and this is a great place for me because I can, I can be myself and express myself. And so you have a great day at work as always and, 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 and you gain satisfaction there that you can't gain anywhere else. And, and then work ends and you go out and get in your car. Oh, your car. Oh, the thing you've invested so much money in because it... It expresses your identity. It's who you are. I mean, this is your car, and, and, and you sit in it, and you, it just feels right, and you, you, again, you turn on your favorite news channel station, and again, listen to more of the news that, that, that you want to hear, and all those things, and, and, and you drive home. And, and of course, on the way home, you have to drive through 
that part of town? I mean, we all know where that part of town is. So as you're driving through that part of town, you sort of look around and think, oh, boy, I'm so thankful that, that I'm not one of them. I'm so thankful that, that I'm beyond all this stuff here and that, that I've surpassed that, that I've worked hard to, to, to come to this place in life where I am. And, and, and you're reminded of your, your social and your, your cultural superiority. And, and then finally you get home, your kingdom the place where you rule the roost. And, and once again, you're in total, complete charge. Aren't we glad that we're not living in such a, a filthy pagan land like Babylon where we don't have to deal with real idols? Actually, I wish they were just localized in those temples. You'll see how idolatry pervades Everything we do at home, at work, in the car, in our minds, on the radio, on the TV, everywhere we go, everywhere we turn, everything we do, every gadget we hold in our hands has the potential to become an idol to us. But you're thinking, well, I don't have an iPhone. I got an old flip phone. I don't belong to a gym. I shop at Walmart. I drive an old car. I have all kind of friends, different ethnicities, different different socioeconomic groups. I, I'm that person. Well, you know what your idol is. Your idol, you're idolizing the fact that you're not one of those other people that do idolize. So, so, I, mean, I mean, you see how idolatry works, right? Man's nature, John Calvin says, is a perpetual factory of idols. And it is. And we, we know that. We, we, even if we could get rid of our idols... If we could list them all out and identify those idols and just say we're done with them and burn them and take them down, we'd invent new ones tomorrow. We would wake up in the morning and invent new ones. That's why we have to learn how to deal with them. We have to learn to deal with them on a daily basis. So what is this process of dealing with our idols? And the first thing I want to suggest is, number one, you have to unmask them. Unmask the idols. Now, what is an idol? I'm going to give you Tim Keller's definition. Is anything more important to you than God? Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God? Anything you seek to give you what only God can give? It could be anything. Anything you look to other than God to give you what you want is basically an idol. Now, why do I say we need to unmask those idols? Unmask those idols. We understand a culture that wears masks a lot now, right? We used to think, well, that's other cultures, but now we, we sort of, a mask sort of hides something. It, it, you, you know, you could, I don't know, do, like when you're constantly wearing masks, do y'all still brush your teeth or, you know, put lipstick on or if you're a woman? Do you, you don't have to because, because it's concealed. You don't, it's okay. Now, idols, if we unmask them, we're going to see how ugly they really are. But on the surface, they present themselves as acceptable and good and innocent. And, and, and any of those things, all those good things that we mentioned, you wake up in the morning, you turn on TV, you get in your car, you go to work, you drive by this, all the, the gym. All, those are good things. But they can become idols, right? We deify them. We give them godlike status. We essentially turn and look to the Lord and we say, God, you know, I'm really glad to have you. We're Christians, right? We profess to be Christians, so we have to turn to the Lord and say, God, 
I couldn't do all this without you. But you know, there's really this thing that I need, this thing that I have to have in order for today to be satisfying to me. There's this other thing that needs to happen for me to be fulfilled today. Not that I don't love you. Of course I do. But it's this other stuff that I really need today in order to feel good about myself, to feel good about life, to to have some sort of contentment and peace and happiness. The different kinds of idols. I mean, you can categorize idols. You can have personal idols. Things like romantic love, family, money, power, health, beauty. Those are certain kind of personal idols. Cultural idols could be military power, technology, economic prosperity, uh, hard work, moral virtue, these kinds of things that that are, that are particularly identified with, with your culture, uh, personal freedoms, um, those kind of things, or intellectual. We could have intellectual type idols, particular political ideologies or um, educational ideologies or philosophies or, or certain type of, of slant on current events. I mean, these things, uh, there are different ways to categorize idols, but they're, they're just everywhere. I have, to, I have a stack of these things. It's a, it's a little sheet. And I'll give you one if you, if you want one. It's, you know, how to identify your idols. And they're like power idolatry, approval idolatry, comfort idolatry, image idolatry. I'll, I'm not going to go down the list. If you want one, I'll give you one after service. Come and, come and get one. But, but we need to unmask those idols, right? Um, we, we need to dig deep in our hearts and, and answer those questions like what? What if I lost it today? I would feel like my life is just ruined. Um, what do I need to look to today in order just to, to feel like I, I can keep going? When you're alone, when you're by yourself, what does your imagination run to? How do you spend your money? How do you, how do you deal with unanswered prayers or, or frustrated hopes? I mean, those are ways that we can identify, begin to identify what those idols are in our own lives, Right? And because idols do wear a mask, because they often look okay, to us at least, we're often blind to them. I'm blind to my idols. My wife is not near as blind to my idols as I am. She sees my idol. I see her idols better than, than she sees them. We were driving here this morning and, and, and going down the road and <clears throat> we begin this discussion. We have a child getting married in a couple of weeks. And of course we have to do the rehearsal dinner and there are things that go into the rehearsal dinner and all these things and who's on the invitation list and who's not on the invitation list. And, and of course I'm, I'm the dad, right? I'm the guy. I don't care who's on the list or who's not on the list. You know, it's not my wedding. She cares a lot. She goes, well, I, well, I just feel bad because so-and-so isn't on the list. And we, you know, we're really good friends with them. Okay, well, she has certain idols that she's dealing with. Maybe what people think about her, you know, her self-image in front of other people, right? She admits that. I mean, she admitted it in the way down here. I was not so quick to admit my idol. My idol is being right about everything. <laughs> being superior. Being able to tell her about her idols. That's my idol, right? To be the idol identifier and killer. Like, well, that's just an idol in your life. You need to deal with it. But that's my idol, right? We all have these idols we have to deal with. 
We have to unmask them. Now how, if they're masked and we can't see our own idols, you know what that means? We really need each other. We need people in our lives who know us as well or maybe even better than we know ourselves. It's one great thing about marriage, right? Don't, don't despise the fact that sometimes your spouse can help you identify your idols. We need to do that in gentle, kind ways, unlike the way I typically do it. But we, we need to help one another identify our idols. In the church, that's part of the fellowship of the saints, right? To help one another grow and mature and seek the Lord by pointing out idols, identifying those idols. Again, they're, they're hard to see. Um, so get involved in fellowship with other people. Be vulnerable. Take a risk, right? Um, it's like going to the dermatologist. Many, many people here have been to the dermatologist, right? And you have this one spot, like, will you look at this spot right here? Because this worries me. I, this spot, I, I don't know what this is. And the dermatologist just looks at it and says, uh-huh. Well, no, no, really. She says, well, I'm worried about this spot over here. I'm like, where? Why? What? That's not a spot. This is a spot right here. And the doctor says, no, that's nothing. This over here I'm worried about. Or this up here I'm worried about. I'm like, what? There's nothing here. And they're like, well, yeah, there is. And that's what other people can do for us. Other believers who love us and care for us, right? So the first thing in, in dealing with our idols, you have to unmask them. And that requires fellowship. That requires other people's participation in our lives. Second step, you need to repent. I mean, genuinely repent of your idols. And I know we use that word a lot. I, I think Mark preached on repentance a few weeks ago, right? So I should just skip over this point because y'all all got it down. We all know how to repent now because Mark told us how to repent. And we, well, don't you wish it was so easy to do? It's easy to talk about and easy to say, yeah, we need to repent of that. Um, most of us are probably familiar with the, the whole Ravi Zacharias incident and, and the, the horror and the tragedy of that whole ministry and his, his situation for years. And here's a man who could teach the Word of God more articulate, articulately, which is what I don't have. Um, solid, he was a solid Bible teacher, but yet he apparently had an extremely difficult time repenting of real sin. We must hate sin. We have to deal with sin. We need to repent of sin, turn from sin. Why? Not just because we're caught, not just because it's been exposed, but because it's against a holy God. Because this sin, whatever it is I'm, I'm here wrestling with, I hate it because this sin is against God. I'm, God, I'm trying to replace you with something other than you. I'm, God, I'm trying to replace you with something you've created. God, I hate that. God, I hate that sin. And, and, and again, let's be careful with repentance. Don't just settle for um, repenting of certain behaviors. Well, let's get to the root of what's going on. Dig for the why of the behavior. Get to the inordinate desires that we have in our lives, these false beliefs that tend to be behind our actions, right? Aren't sinful actions typically the result of looking to something other than Christ for our happiness and our joy and our satisfaction and our hope and our freedom and all those things? Let's get to the root when, when we're repenting. Don't just settle for repenting of behavior, but dig. 
Ask other people, help me get to the root of this. Pray, God, help me deal with not just the behavior, I repent of that, but Lord, help me know what the root of this is, the, the false belief. Let me repent of that as well. Third thing, and Habakkuk helps us with this, meet God at his temple. Interesting, in this text, he, um, you know, he sort of hammers the, the idea of idolatry. These idols are nothing. They're worthless. They're useless. They can't speak. They can't talk. They can't move. They're, they have no breath in them. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Okay. Well, that's good. It's good to know the Lord is in his holy temple. Um, what's the temple stuff all about? What, what's the purpose of a temple? The temple is where God would meet his people, right? It's where man would meet with God. And what is required of man as they come to the temple and they meet with God? What's always required at the temple? Substitutionary sacrifice. You don't just stroll into the temple and say, hey, I'm just going to go hang out at the temple. No, I mean, you read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and, and all those books and you think, wow. I mean, this was not a casual thing just to, hey, let's go hang out down at the temple today. It required sacrifice, blood sacrifice, substitutionary sacrifice. And the temple clearly points us to Jesus Christ and his atoning work, his atoning death for us, his people. So after we clearly identify the idol and repent of both the behavior and the underlying heart condition, we run to Christ. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is there. The Lord meets us. He meets us at the place of Jesus Christ. And the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the Lord is there. So we've seen our idol. We identify it. We begin to unmask it. We repent of it. We turn from it. We hate it. And we run once again to Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in who Christ is. Not just intellectually checking well, okay, Jesus, check it off the list. But I mean, dwell on Christ and rejoice in him. Run to Christ and say, you alone are my hope and my salvation, my righteousness. You alone are my life. Jesus, let me be so engulfed by your love and your beauty that nothing else, these idols that I've repented of, that they no longer are even attractive to me. I long to behold you and love you that much. The Lord is in his holy temple. And then he concludes this passage by saying, let all the earth keep silence before him. Interesting, the contrast of the, the idols who cannot speak. And now we are to be before the Lord in utter silence. Keep silent before him. When I was beginning my residency and my training with the ministry of Evangelize Today, the first thing that, that I was trained in, that Alan Dayhoff trained me in, was the idea of rest, really. The idea of how do you find quiet? How do you find solitude? How do you, how do you get rid of all the background noise? And trust me, again, talk to your pastor. Talk to Mark sometime. Mark, is, is, that, is that job hard? Is it stressful? Is there a lot going on in the ministry? Is there always something in the back of your mind where, where you're like having to juggle things and think, okay, I have to really present a great, beautiful face here and that I'm confident and in charge, but yet there's all this background noise and 
sometimes it's really hard for me to, to focus, to concentrate. And the first thing we worked on in my evangelism, now we're talking about evangelism, but the first thing we worked on was find solitude, find quiet, find, find a way to get rid of the background noise, to, to, to tune it out. Not just to tune it out, but to actually deal with it. What cancels background noise? I mean, what causes us to, to find a place of, of silence? It's the utter shock, isn't it? The utter shock of a holy God demonstrating his love for you, a sinner, by sacrificing his own son for you. It's the idea of grace. Grace is shocking. Grace is overwhelming. When we focus on, when we, when, when we delve into the idea of grace, it, it stuns our hearts and we think, Lord, I have nothing to say. Praise your name. Back in high school, that was 10, that was 15 years ago. Back in high school as a, as a, as a senior, you know, a small town, Chattahoochee, Florida, small town in North Florida. We have our sports banquet at the end of the year. So, you know, I mean, you could imagine me being a great athlete, you know, playing several sports. And I did. Yeah, I was really average at, at all of it. But anyway, um, at the end of the, the, uh, the banquet, I played basketball. I, I, I see my basketball trophies. I got the sportsmanship trophy and the best free throw percentage trophy. That was great. Now we, now we come to baseball. We come to the baseball. Now my baseball team in high school was a guy named Jamie Shoup. And Jamie Shoup, well, there were, yeah, Jamie was, Jamie was really good. Okay, Jamie went on to, to play college ball at Florida State. Always had a really good, strong program there. He, he went on to play some pro ball after Florida State. He's not going to be a Hall of Fame. You, won't, you don't know the name Jamie Shoup, but he played professional baseball. And that's not many people in the world get to, the chance to do that. He did that a few years. He came back and, and became an assistant coach for many years at Florida State. Now he's a head coach uh, of a different Division I college baseball program. Jamie Shoup was on my high school baseball team. So here we are at the, the athletic banquet, and we all know, everybody... Everybody in this room knows who the best baseball player is, the best baseball player by far in, in several counties around us. Well, the best hitting trophy, best batting average, Jamie Shoup. Best fielder, Jamie Shoup. Is that Jamie? Most valuable player, Bert Boykin. <laughs> if you know me even a little bit, it is very common for me to have something smart to say. Try to be humorous. Try to deflect. Try to, you know, I try to, try, <laughs> you know, sort of deprecating kind of self humor whatever. At that moment, I had nothing to say. Nothing. I stood up, I walked up there and accepted the trophy and I said, thank you. I had nothing to say. 
My teammates voted me as most valuable player. Mm. They were out of their minds when they did that, but, but, it, but it didn't matter. I got the trophy. I got the recognition. That, see, that's what grace does. I didn't deserve most valuable player. That's a, I don't deserve to be called a son of God. I don't deserve eternal life. I don't deserve God's grace, but yet he voted. He chose to give that to me. I, what can I say? Let all the earth keep silence before him. We don't have to prove any. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to deflect. We just thank you, Lord. Lord, your grace is all I have. So here, here we are this morning. Acknowledging the fact that we are idolaters. We do it each and every day. And, 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 and now we're challenged to identify those idols and repent of them and run to the cross and, and fall silent before our God. So as we pray, as we, as we close in prayer, let's ponder, let's ponder this grace, this grace of God as he meets us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And, and let's ponder the cost of our salvation. And, and let's, let's even ponder again back to Habakkuk and the fact that, you know, the righteous will be saved and the wicked will be judged. We're confident in that. Let's, let's rejoice in our salvation, even in prayer. Father, thank you for the goodness of your word. Thank you for your grace and, and, and mercy, which is stunning. Um, so undeserved. Father, I do pray that you would just be gracious to each and every one of us, even now by, by your spirit, to, to point us once again to the fact that you are in your holy temple, that you have met us in and through the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And, and that, Father, would that so stun our hearts that we would fall silent before you. Father, thank you for Christ. Fill us with your spirit. We ask and pray all this in his strong and precious name. Amen.